My name is Aram. My pronouns are he, him. I am the writer and producer of the actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast, God's Fall. And my name is Dylan. My pronouns are he, him. I'm a physicist from Canada. Welcome Welcome to Kill Every Every Monster. This week on Kill Every Monster, we're featuring the Banshee. The Monster Manual describes the Banshee as the undead remnants of elves who, blessed with great beauty, failed to use their gift to bring joy to the world. Instead, they used their beauty to corrupt and control others. Elves afflicted by the Banshee's curse experience no gladness, feeling only distress in the presence of the living. As the curse takes its toil, their minds and bodies decay until death completes their transformation into undead monsters. We are joined by writer and conservationist Orla Nidul. Orla is an Irish writer and professional tree botherer bouncing between Dublin and an island off the west coast of Ireland, where she can stand on sea cliffs and scream to her heart's content. (laughs) She's creator of the best-selling DM's Guild Adventure, Murder on the Eberron Express, and a contributor to 2C Gaming's TPK Bestiary Volume 2. As penance, she can usually be found on Twitter at NaturallyOrla. Welcome to the show, Orla. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start by asking you this. What does the Banshee mean to you? Normally... When I think about banshees, I don't really think about a thing at all. You just think about the sound. So, you know, when you're a kid and you're getting told spooky stories, it's just about the scream, which half the time is either just a barn owl or a fox in the middle of the night. And then, not to get too specific on this, but your brother is convincing you that you're going to die. And then you spend three days writing your will because you're six years old and you think you're going to die. And not like, you know, that could happen to anyone. That's a very relatable thing that could happen to any person. Is that the first story you'd heard of a banshee? No, I, ironically, the first time I think I really heard about the Banshee as a little, little kid was watching Darby O'Gill and the Little People. The Banshee! In, in it, this guy, uh, Darby O'Gill, uh, his daughter is threatened by a Banshee and he's trying to do all this stuff with the fairies to try and pull a deal so that she doesn't die. Keep away! Keep away! Pretty bonkers. Didn't age well, but it was very fond of it as a small child. And the banshee in it is genuinely terrifying. Keep away from her! Keep her! I was a bit of a drama queen. At six years old, it was enough to make you write out a will. My brothers just convinced me that I was going to die. And so I thought the response I had heard on, you know, adults talking, and I knew the responsible thing for me to do was to get my affairs in order. No, I didn't have any affairs because I was six. But I thought, like, I, I, like, wrote down all my toys and, like, who was going to get what <laughs> toys and... You know, I thought about those things. Did your brother get any of those toys? No, none of them. I actually think I pointedly found people they didn't like to give things to. Traditionally, Banshee sort of leans more into the sort of will of the wisp category in that it's like, it's not a thing to be fought. It's barely even, it is just a sensation. Will of the wisp being like a thing you see, Banshee just a thing you hear. You do see them as well. So like in the old stories, you do tend to see, like, there'd be a woman sitting somewhere when you hear the sound, then, like, the next day you'd see the woman, or you'd see the woman, then you'd hear the sound that night. But you wouldn't always, like, see them at the same time. I suppose it's a much more neutral character to a lot of stories. So there's kind of, like, two takes on it in, like, 
most of the folklore is that there's either the one where it's almost benevolent, not quite benevolent, but at least neutral, where the idea is you just kind of like, as as six-year-old me assumed, it's this warning. You've got three days, you know, whatever you've got to do, get it done now because you got three days. And there are some of the stories link them specifically to cer- only certain families. So there are only certain families for some reason or other will have this as their warning. It's either a curse or a blessing, depending on how the story is told. There are other ones where it's seen as more threatening. So there will be ones like um, a banshee to be seen and there's a lot to do with like combing hair. That's a big part of it. Where if someone disrespected her or stole her comb or something like that, then that night the scream would be heard and you'd, someone in the family would be taken. And basically it would go through the whole family and they just get wiped out. Curses in Irish folklore are always punishments. Let's not harm me very logic where, you know, the, the, the two that go off to have sex get killed first. It's like, it's normally you've disrespected someone very directly. The county I moved to, Mayo, hasn't won the All-Ireland Football Championship since the last time they won. They were all celebrating on the bus, and this was apparently like, this was like 80 years ago or something. Um, they were on the bus, driving, they were in, um, driving back from Dublin where they'd won to Mayo and they were all a little bit locked on the bus and celebrating because they just won and there was a funeral and they didn't stop and pay any respects to the funeral the story was that they would never win the All-Ireland again until every member of that team was dead and there's only one guy left and they've come second place like eight or nine times this is a curse that people genuinely 100% believe in they are waiting for this weird old man to die like this poor guy was just on a football team like a long time ago. He's like, he's older now. And they're basically, there's a whole county full of people waiting for him to die. You got to appreciate a curse that goes hard metaphorical. I uh, could murder an entire football team, but they're on a bus. They're going to go somewhere. This is such, what if I just murder their chances at winning? I think it's because it's a very community-based country. So everything has had to punish more than you. Because if you were the only one that was punished, that would be fair, but it wouldn't be extreme. So like a scary punishment is not just you take it, but also your whole family for seven generations. And like that's to, to make it seem truly terrifying. It's like you won't, you dying won't even fix this. So this kind of comes back around to our second sort of major question for the day. Is the Banshee a monster? In folklore, not exactly, but yes and no. Like kind of depends. Like you don't have that same concept like it's very modern concept in Irish folklore so not human the word fey or fairy or any of that is is um, not doesn't come from Irish it's a modern import from Britain um, so the word banshee which is like woman fairy is all it means basically and um, she is a shortened of sheog which is what you would call a fairy so all fairies are sheog in Irish um, which just basically means forever young because it's just a word for immortal so basically, they're not any one thing. You just, they just can't die. So anything that can't die or doesn't get old or doesn't die of natural causes, like they're all shiok. So it's like a million different things. Like technically like, you know, the black dogs or kelpies or selkies or any of them, they're all shiok because they don't get old, but they're not all the same thing. Is there anything at all in the original idea of the Banshee about them being beautiful forever? Other than all, there's this idea of like youth and beauty are very linked in Irish folklore and fairness. 
Because if you listen to what the core of the Banshee really is, and then if you listen to what Dungeons & Dragons has done in their description of the Banshee, which it is a malevolent, angry, narcissistic force that used beauty as a weapon its entire life and then perished, and also if for some reason it is an elf. Well, I mean, the, the elf bit is probably just because the, the, like, the words they use for Sylvan in, the, in um, D&D is just badly translated Irish. It seems like they took something and then just invented a monster where there wasn't one. It's a little different, but I can kind of see where they were coming from. Because if you, you want your, your idea is you're creating a monster because you're creating a monster manual. So you're looking to folklore for things that may or may not be monsters, but are at least scary. The Banshee is definitely something that people fear. So like, it, we didn't have the same concept of like things being monsters, but they definitely like, even see, the thing is like, it's the problem with using the word, it's the problem with the fact that we're speaking English, right? So you have, there are, there are certain baggage and connotations to the word fairy. The word shiog does not have those. So if we were speaking, it would just be much clearer that you just mean something that's not human, which can be good or bad. And it doesn't have like connotations in any way. People are definitely fear the Banshee one way or the other. So that made sense to me. And I can see where they got the vanity thing from if you were reading certain parts of the myths that had to do with this, this idea of like combing your hair. And there's certain things with mirrors as well. Like those are the things that get stolen or broken that lead to a banshee turning on you is this comb or this mirror. And so I can kind of see where they were going with that. It's very strange to me in that they chose to make it an undead. Being a banshee itself, normally we talk about the banshee's curse being like the thing that it's inflicting. You hear the banshee scream, you know you're going to die. The Banshee's curse is the curse that turned a normal elf into an evil ghost that scream murders. It feels like a almost complete inversion of the idea we're supposed to be driving at here. It's it's no longer technically a fairy at all. Then it's it's an undead creature at that point. Yeah, it's a ghost. So it's going from fairy to ghost. It is a medium undead that is chaotic evil. Like even in their description of the Banshee, which I have a lot of issues with, but even in that one, like it's not chaotic. Like the Banshee has a very clear set of rules that applies itself to and follows up on even in undead. It's not a chaotic creature. It has a very clear ideology. It's just chaotic um, evil because um, they put chaotic on all the, all the fae. Except it's not fae. It's undead. It's not fae. But they clearly classed, like when they were thinking of it, that's where they were going from it. I, I would bet good money that's why it's chaotic. Because it doesn't, you're right, it doesn't make any sense from the description to call it chaotic evil, but... It should be lawful evil. Yeah. Everything to do with the Fey Realm and elves is usually put it down as chaotic, if I had to guess. Is there a way you can think of to take sort of the bones of what they have in the book? Is there enough resemblance in the Banshee that they have presented mechanically to produce something that could be called a Banshee? I am known to have the odd rant about poorly used uh, Irish things and especially the language poorly utilized. So I, I have criticisms, but to be honest, I mean, I'm not a purist because folklore is very flexible. So every version of the Banshee is very different. So there isn't a right version. There isn't a right version of the Banshee because there's seven bazillion versions all over and every single one of them is different. The thing that is most different for me or that seems strange to me is that idea of them being a ghost as opposed to tangible. Um, and the idea that like they are already dead because the whole point is that they live forever. So it seems strange to like have them be dead. You could run it, I think, if you if you just tweak a few things, but you could run it as something that actually did re- genuinely resemble a Banshee if you ignore alignment, which everybody does anyway. 
I don't think it's good to include D&D's like beauty monster part of it. But if you did, it would make a lot more sense for a creature that lived forever and therefore maybe therefore valued their permanent immortal beauty. But as it is, it's just the misogyny monster. The description of the Banshee specifically calls out that it is someone who was beautiful that did not use their beauty to make the world a better place and to bring joy to other people. They use their beauty to manipulate people, which immediately presents this idea where if you're beautiful, if you are a beautiful woman, you owe the rest of the world the creation of joy. But let's be honest, everything about the elves is a little bit like that. But I mean, even for like how you get to the drow and how you get to all sorts of things in like that early history is all to do with, it's very, you know what it is? It's very Pygmalion. The gods that made elves are deeply creepy. And then they just kept like making what they thought was the, the perfect creation and then getting pissed off when they didn't like, you know, dance puppet dance just right. What would you do to fix Dungeon and Dragons Banshee? I thought about this before because when I was writing... I wrote an article ages ago about um, the misuse of Irish language and media products and stuff, especially around fantasy. And I, one of the things I was looking at, look briefly at D&D, but I didn't go too far down the rabbit hole because there was a lot else to talk about. And uh, Warhammer was objectively worse. How I would fix the Banshee is how I would fix a lot of stuff to do with the Fey Realm and like Sylvan and all that kind of stuff to make it feel less icky to me when I'm thinking about that kind of stuff. And it would also, and this is like a side note, but it would fix elves. I've always thought that the the longevity of races in D&D didn't quite work. Because every time you try and actually conceive of how history would work, if some people who just sometimes ran taverns and shops and just like hung out places lived for on average 800 years, it just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, if you if instead there were no elves as we understand them now, right? This is going to circle back to Banshees in one sec. So there's no elves... Instead, you've just got half-elves across the races. So you've just got people who appear with certain types of like Selvan, Sylvan kind of fey-touch bloodlines that are like basically half-elves among the different races. But all you've actually got are basically a Ladron who are not player characters ever. Take a Ladron back out of player characters. You've just got a Ladron as NPCs because you make them much more ethereal and weird and spooky. You put in things that are currently... Like things like Banshee, you make them fey creatures again, but you make the fey realm much spookier. And the things that are living for like hundreds of years or anyone who lives for hundreds and hundreds of years isn't because they're just genetically superior and live longer. It's because they're in going in and out of the fey realm, which is this other dimension where time is weird. And then you've got this Banshee that is coming in and out of this dimension where time is weird. And they're like one of these Aladrin type fey spook creatures who, because they're kind of slightly out of time, are sometimes arriving before things have happened. And they're like, if you think of like the winter aspect Ladron, something along those lines where they have that like sorrowful presence, something more like that than the actual like scream and it'll kill you stuff that you've got with the actual Banshee. So instead you've got something where they come and they're like, so they're, they're in mourning because they realize they've arrived before the terrible thing, but they still can't, they can't change it because that's not how the rules work. And so instead they're just in mourning in advance because they know what's going to happen, but nobody else does. Which lets us pull into mechanics really conveniently because the Banshee as a monster is 
terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, they're hard to fight. It's a challenge four monster, which means you're going to be hitting it relatively early on when you may not have access to magic items, at which point it has resistance to any non-magical attacks. It has resistance to, from a glance, almost every element. If it doesn't have resistance to it, it has immunity to it. You can beat it with a bat to death. It's hard. You can hit it with a bat, but it has resistance to it. But you can. You can beat a ghost to death with a bat. Theoretically, they... It's it's theoretically possible, but you would need so many hit points because by the time you inflicted enough damage to kill the man, they she would for sure kill you. Like unless she was standing there just being like, please beat me to death with this stupid bat that'll take seven million years and I just won't move. Because challenge four monster. It's easier if it's a magical bat. You're dealing with a plus four to hit and it's got a 3d6 plus two necrotic damage average at 12 points. So it hits like a truck. It's brutal. So combining the fact that absolutely nothing you can do short of magic missiles will do full damage and it will rip you apart. Challenge four means generally a five person party should be level four to take it on. The DC is low for the whale. It's only 13. But if you got, so if you got a party of five, you just, two people just happen to get unlucky rolls, roll below that 13, which is not impossible. It's not, you know, like, especially level four people, like, they're not all going to have high con because, mo- like, it's a dump stat for a lot of classes. With the added bonus, this is the scariest con save in the game, short of a death effect scaled to level. Because if you pass the con save, you take a full 3d6 psychic damage, which is, for the given level, huge. Statistically speaking, you've immediately taken half the party out of the game and you've done a huge chunk of damage to all of the remaining party members. You're talking about two people, at least one person, maybe two people on death saves before a single like swing has been taken. And that's where we get to the grandest unkindness. Is they're, they're described as beauty hoarders. And even in the actual like Irish mythology, there is a tendency for people to get screwed over by stealing something of the Banshees. And if there's anything an adventurer loves to do, it's steal something that belongs to someone else. This is not the sort of monster that leaves you at zero hit points. When you, when you sort of take all elements into account, the beauty hoarder, the hatred of all things living, the fact that it's chaotic evil now, so it's just actively malicious. If it drops you and there's a risk of you getting back up, there's no reason a banshee wouldn't grab your face and rot it off. There's no reason for it to hold back. Is challenge four reasonable for a banshee, knowing that it's sitting at hmm. relatively easy to hit, 12 AC, but 58 hit points? I think it's hard because I do think challenge ratings are incredibly difficult to calculate. Um, having attempted it myself on monster creation, it like you are kind of making it up. It's not exact science. And so you, you do the best you can, but I think it, the problem with it is, is there's the whole nature of the game is, is a certain amount of random chance. And so, yes, if these things happen and this goes wrong, this monster can wipe you out. But the point of a challenge thing is that it might, like it's supposed to still be, an actual fight at that at that level so long as you manage to stay up and get a few hits in they're not that hard to hit so like if you have say casters who can get in from a distance and yeah it's gonna half the damage but if they get a few good rolls in like it doesn't take that long to put one down if you get like if they get a few good damage rolls it's just there's a lot of chance now, if we can take a, a quick uh, detour into Dylan complains about monsters that don't make sense corner Let's forget a little theme song. Monsters that don't make sense with Dylan. Don't make sense. Die. 
these designers didn't do their job well? Banshees are locationally bound. They are tied to the place they, they died. They hate everything that's living. So now you have something that lives in a specific location, will not come to other people, and if you come towards it, will generally avoid you. It also has the ability to sense the presence of creatures up to five miles away that aren't undead or constructs. So there is no reason why a player should interact with a banshee. It isn't going and hoarding stuff that it didn't already have in life. It isn't going into town and murdering townsfolk. You, you might not know it's there. Well, see, that's the only thing I can think of. Like, if it's a poltergeist type thing, like the thing is stuck in this house because that's where it, it lived. But now you've moved in and it hates you. So it throws lamps and turns on lights all day or whatever, or makes like really loud noises. Like I could see that. I love how that you were like, what's a bad thing a ghost could do to you? And the first thing you thought of was turn on lamps. Like, what else? Oh, I had a migraine that day. It really fucked me over. That poltergeist kept turning on the lamps. I'm so, I'm so photosensitive. We're also ignoring the 3D6 necrotic damage. We're just going straight to light bulbs. This particular banshee is new, first of all. Also, maybe really sweet and kind of like shy in real life. Doesn't want to go right to the 3D6 necrotic nail damage. Maybe starts with putting out a few torches. You know, rearranging some azaleas. This is why none of the God's Fall PCs are dead yet. That's right. It's why they're all alive. It's because you're a coward. It's why I've killed no one. So how I've used Banshees in the past has always been when they have to travel through somewhere they know is haunted and spooky, but they don't really know by what or what's going on. They just, but they, they have something which is forcing them to travel through a place which they, a bunch of different undead or, or weird shit is going to jump out at them. And they know this, but they don't know what or where exactly, or, but they have no choice but to travel a particular road. So I've used them there. Um, but also what you're talking about, that idea of like, why wouldn't you just leave them alone? You realize you've kind of hit on a, a fundamental mechanical issue of D&D though. Sure. But uh, at the same time, like you can say, why wouldn't you just leave the dragon alone? But a dragon's coming to town. Like, even a horde of kobolds are eventually going to fucking overrun the Warrens. But I can put a gold ring in the middle of the floor in some dungeon you got no business going to, and someone will find a way into that dungeon, into that room, and pick up that single gold ring in the middle of the floor for no reason. I'm like, it was cursed. And they'll be like, whoa, what do you mean? It was cursed. It was a single gold of ring in the middle cursed. of a room that had never been touched, and you still went there. So I could see it. I could see it happening. Sign up for our Patreon and I will run an adventure for you that is simply a man forgot his wallet somewhere. Right. And it's fine. Because I know you'll go no, after it. I, I designed a whole campaign where the only purpose of the campaign was to teach new players not to be dumb. Huh. The only purpose of this adventure was literally to teach new D&D play players about consequences. Because every time... They did something for no reason. Every time they went into a fight they didn't actually really need to have, the, it, the next thing would get harder because they were, they were losing allies further up this tower every time they killed something for no reason because they just kept fighting. They just assumed they had to kill everything. So they kept killing it. There was, at one point, I just had a hat stand with a single green bowler hat on it and there was nothing else around. And it was obviously a mimic. Of course it was a mimic. What else could it be? It's never not no, a mimic. Of course it was a mimic. But do you have an idea how many people put that hat on? Of course, 100% they did. Of course they Every did. I would put them. the hat on. I would put the, I would put the, you would have told me this and I still would probably go put that hat on. 
like in real life, like if real life, well, yeah, if real life Aram walked into that room, real life Aram would 100% put on a lime green bowler. Absolutely. Every time. My only big mechanical thing about it, about how you would change it would be like making it less like the scream kills and bringing more like the, the winter Aladrin sorrowful presence effect. I mean, they do already have that. They have the horrifying visage, which swaps out for the sorrowful presence type thing. You can flavor it as well, though. I think the problem I run into when I look at the Banshee is that generically, save or die effects suck. When we were doing our prep for this podcast, I essentially went through the entire monster manual and I had checked off probably half to two thirds of the book as just mechanically boring and it doesn't matter. See, I, but I, I like a challenge in that though. I like something that could ruin it. And how would you make it not ruin it? Like, how would you make it not ruin the fun? That's exactly what I mean though, is like it could ruin the fight, but it's the most interesting thing that this creature does. And if you take it away, especially when it has resistance to effectively every type of damage, what you've in essence done is just, you doubled its hit points and then it has a fairly powerful melee attack and it has a fearful presence. That is mechanically nothing. It's another bag of hit points that will hit you back until one of you drops. And the whale is the thing that really is evocative and is interesting. It just almost feels too powerful. I've got to think for certain types of monsters where you want to make them unkillable, right? Or at least functionally unkillable. So you get this, something like the Banshee right now where it's so many resistances, but you also want to make them a bit tougher and an actual you know, thing and make them scary. But okay, so you want to make them unkillable. We don't want to want to make them unbeatable. So what I think is the Fey Realm, again, making the Fey Realm weird, that something has to anchor Fey creatures to the material plane. And if you find what it is and pull it off them, they just, it's like casting banishment. But you have, you don't know what it is. So you've got to risk going in and getting like your face ripped off to pull a random piece of jewelry off them that might just be a piece of jewelry. So, but then if you get the right one, they're gone and you win, but you didn't kill them, but you did beat them. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., 
Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It is a mild day. The sun is out. It is lit. It is not quite raining yet. But it's it's just on the edge of happening. Well, if it was a real Irish thing, it would be kind of a grand soft day. And a soft day is when it's warm. It's like mild. It's mild. But it's cloudy. But it's not raining. It's sort of maybe a little humid, but it's like mild. Fierce mild, even. So it's grey, but it's bright. It's an aggressive mild. Like dead mild. You're just saying words, or like, <laughs> here are some more words. Like, like they don't help. They're just other words. For the last three or four days, you've just set up camp. There has been a, basically a small town contracted you and a little company of men to clear out an area. They want to start building out a second settlement. So you're in the middle of the woods, feeling pretty good about yourself. It's an easy job clear out some trees all is well it's gonna be an easy job clear out some trees all's well god you're such a fuck a <laughs> fierce fuck both the character and the person <laughs> just a right <laughs> asshole okay aram you're the worst we're done talking to you orla it's been quiet you've seen skitters at the edges of your vision the squirrels the deer fucking butterflies none of it has been enough to really get that impulse in you of that should not be here but recently there has been noise it has been loud you have the days where you get to sit on your things you get to bask in just the peace and the quiet and suddenly there is a crashing sound and you can see four or five miles out just at the edge of what you can perceive, there are shapes. There are five of them. Detect life. A banshee can magically sense the presence of creatures up to five miles away that aren't undead or constructs. She knows the general direction they're in, but not their exact locations. One of them doesn't go around that much. It seems to stand there. And whenever there's a noise, it's gesturing wildly. And there are four of them that seem to be carrying out the work of creating an incomprehensible racket. The sort of thing you haven't heard since your last few days alive. 
What do you want to do? <sighs> you haven't even interacted with Aram yet. And yet, I'm prescient that way. Some people, they come through, they know I'm here, they try to be polite. But mostly people just get kind of weird. And it's awkward for everyone. I've been making a real good go of avoiding everyone for a while, but something about this is kind of sand in my eye or something. So I sort of like mosey in that general direction. Adam Mosey, for a being of effectively infinite endurance, you can't get tired anymore. Yeah, the Mosey's for effect. You have all the time in the world as you just drift and these lights keep moving around. They keep interfering with things. You see them kill a deer. You see them move around. You can start to see like at the edges of the uh, canopy, you can start to see smoke coming up. Burn that. Smash this. Kill that. Burn this. Anything that gets in the way, like like if it doesn't get like they're not going to go out of their way to kill it. But if it got in the way at all, like if they're chopping down a tree and there are rabbits in the way and they were inconvenient for a second, they just kill them. It's really cute to me that you think that it's possible to accidentally catch a rabbit. After a day's travel, we're talking about basically bordering on sundown. There is something wrong with the loud man. You're looking and you can see those outlines. You can see those auras of life and vibrancy in all of these people. And his isn't right. (sighs) Just sit there for a minute in the trees and kind of have a look. And I'm weighing my options. I know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, It didn't go so well the last time. And... (sighs) This is why I've been in the woods. Smash that whole beaver dam. Just smash it. I don't care if there's beavers in it. Smash it all flat. Flatten it as low as you can get it. I want to have a stage. I want a stage for us to stand at. We have a long day. We need a flat, level area to place all of our belongings. So just smash those beavers just flat. As the three of them are doing this, your last... uh your last sort of grunt, is still running around the camp trying to chase that rabbit that got in the way of him cutting down a tree. Fuck that rabbit. The rabbit's ruined my whole day. There's nothing that ruins a logger's day more than a rabbit. (laughs) Somehow. It's fucking four foot rabbit. You're right. It's a hare. Yeah. It's a hare. Yeah, it's a, a hair, hair, so it's real it, big. It, just, it gets in the way of stuff. It does. It, it like got in the way of like my my axe, and then like everyone else's axe. It is, it is this this hair has reduced productivity by a hair. Rabbits or hares, it's all the same thing. Sort of like how all lions are cats. No, no, a hare is just like a dire rabbit, right? Yeah. That's actually more true than what Dylan just said. And like how a wolf is just a dire dog. Everything is just a dire other stuff. A wasp is like a dire bee. So as this gentleman is chasing uh, some varietal of coney around. Which comes from the Irish for rabbit, by the way. There's a moment where he just stops and the thing manages to get off into the woods. He goes, hey, hey boss. Yeah. You hire a lady? <sighs> Anyone's a use can come and join my crew. Lady or guy, you know I got no issues there. But no, on this particular trip, no, we have not hired a woman on this particular trip, correct? Orla, you can see the person like... Yeah. Scanning the forest. I sort of like float out. Ooh. 
like holds up a finger for a second, just like kind of like a wait gesture. Wail. Once per day. The banshee releases a mournful wail, provided that she isn't in sunlight. This wail has no effect on constructs or undead. All other creatures within 30 feet of her that can hear her must make a DC 13 constitution saving throw. On a failure, a creature drops to zero hit points. On a success, a creature takes 3d6 psychic damage. So Ram, I'm going to need you to make a uh, wisdom saving throw. That is a 14 total. So you and the guy who is chasing the rabbit are like stock still like baffled, staring directly at this. At the edges of the camp, the three guys, one of them coming back with a beaver slung over his shoulder by the tail, look over, see this dread apparition out in the distance, and it screams, and they run into the woods. Orla, you know that outside the sunlight, that could have killed the entire camp of people. At the moment, it is terrifying. These guys should get the message at that point. Look at him with a kind of expression of, uh-huh. Who are you? That's Elvish. Yeah, he does not speak Elvish. And he would look at the log next to him and he would just sink his axe into it. He's got a big, like the other ones just have normal equipment. He's got this big, golden, gorgeous, very expensive, clearly magical axe pulls out a couple flasks of oil. I don't want any trouble here, but there's gold to make. And you're getting the way of making that gold. Orla, when he slams that axe in, you see that this entire picture has just been those auras. And his flare is that little bit of red, and you're like, oh. You've seen acts of bravado, trying to like scare off the ghost. This was an act of aggression. This is a dumb one. Okay. All right. So then can I put my hands up? I'm trying to do a hand gesture, kind of like in a, I'm pointing at him and pointing at his heart and then like pretending to be dead. And I'm like, Mark, talk to cut boss all Amadan. Not if I don't cut out your heart first. I just, I just flip him off and float backwards into a tree. <sighs> This is one of the handful of elven things you've learned. You worked with an elf for a while, and the thing he taught you was his swear words and this middle finger thing. That was fucking rude. That was rude. Men! Two of them are back. Sorry, man. We tried to catch him, but he's uh, he's trying to hide behind the beaver dam. What's left of the beaver dam. Never mind. We moved some of the stuff off to the side, and now it's like, it's not blocking the water because it's like a wall on the ground. This is still a dam, but it's like for air. Pull all the equipment back to the water. Because we're going to set fire to this forest. Why don't we normally do that when they want us to clear stuff out? That seems like a lot less effort than cutting it down. Well, it does seem like a better effort, yes. But we do like cutting things, and we do get paid for cutting things. And the longer we're here cutting things, the more days we get paid for cutting things. But I think in this case, yes, we're going to need to burn this forest down. You're right. So do you want us to like put the put the dam back? Let's just get let's just uh, let's just get the gear on the other side of the water, and then light everything else on this side of the water on uh, fire. That makes more sense. You hear that, ghost? Gonna burn down your trees that you ghost live in. Let's go, boys. 
they get to work. They start moving the equipment. Um, what, what, uh, what's uh, going on with the weather and the time of day? This whole process, breaking down camp, moving it across the river, especially now that they've taken the single thing that spanned the river and destroyed it. It's taken them a couple hours. It's getting dark. Night is starting to fall. The one thing I, he has done to prepare is that he has gathered the oil that they have because he believes that oil and fire is bad for ghosts. So he's like made a couple of... Oh, it's just regular oil? Like, it's like lamp oil. So he's like made like a couple of... Okay, no, but I thought when you said it earlier, I thought maybe it was holy oil. Oh, how no, you said it, no, but no, it's oh, just regular oil. No, he's not that well... No, this is, like, this is like lamp oil. He thinks that he if he makes a couple mullets of cocktails, he can fight ghosts. That's what this guy is thinking. I mean, that's not a terrible... That's not a terrible plan. No, but it's also not a great one. No. <laughs> I've seen worse. He has now seen this creature and heard this creature. Does he know what he's facing? You can roll Arcana at advantage. Fun. Okay. Because you've you've got the scream to go off of at least. So my first roll is a 14 and my second roll is a natural 20. <laughs> to be fair, I feel like the ghost woman screaming at you. It's not like super obscure. Very like... She might as well as screamed Banshee. I'm a Banshee. Is it a Banshee, boss? You know, essentially the entire stat block. How well does this guy actually understand any of that? Because this is elven legend, and we have firmly established a disrespect for elves in general. Here's what I got. So when these Banshees, right, wail at you, it's because you hear them. It's like those fish ladies by the ocean when they sang at the ships. Oh, you mean mermaids? Can't hear them. They can't get into your head. They got to get into your head to hurt you. So what we're going to do is we're going to get our little firebombs ready. Then we're going to stuff cotton in our ears, right? And we're going to stick close together. And we're going to tap on each other if we need to. And then we're going to burn her. By, like, the time it gets dark, you have, like, a small fire built up, like, kind of in the middle of you guys. Uh, so you're still casting your own shadows out into the woods, but the flickering of the light, it's big enough that you can still see reasonably well. Call it dim light. Assuming that I just drifted to the tree and was just, like, hidden behind the trees while this was going on, did I hear all that? A hundred percent. We're not being quiet at all. So I know that they're about to put cotton in there is any minute now. You did outline your plan in advance, so I'm not going to take it away from if from you if you want it. We can roll initiative, and whoever I get above, I get there before they get cotton in their ears. Perfect. I love it. At this point, Aram, do you want to roll for your guys since you know how you're statting them? Or do you want to tell me? Heck yeah. Like, are you using an NPC gonna, stat block? I'm or gonna, you just... Oof. You have a lucky day, Aram. I'm rolling like balls. I have a stat block for Harvel, but for none of the NPCs, I figured you were just doing them. Okay, cool. And, but uh, yeah, just, my name is Aram. Well, I got an eight, so. Ooh, I got a 12 plus a zero is 12. Bandits. Woodcutters. Poachers. I know what they are, Aram. Thugs. Just saying words now. Wayward boys. Doesn't really sound okay, menacing. No, that last bit got... <laughs> No, that was me. 
That's always you. I'm still somehow Just a wayward, a wayward boy. boy. It's like a it's, it's like a really sad, gayer version of Peter Pan. Do you mean Peter Pan? <laughs> scouts. We're giving you scouts. Shoot her. <laughs> Shoot her with your bows. <laughs> like those arrows on fire right in her fucking face. Okay, so what it amounts to is what what did Havold roll? Well, Havold rolled a 12 total. Flat. Okay, so it's going to be three of the scouts, Harvold. Uh, presumably you rolled higher than a four. I, I got an eight total. You guys are standing around this fire, kind of like watching out. Like, not in all directions. You're very much focused in the direction she came from. Get ready. And they start putting like cotton in their ears. Uh, one of them is has like the hand axe that they brought out. One of them is writing a bow. And then they're all just going to take uh, the dodge action because they do not know where you are, Orla. Ghost in the night. Harvold, what are you doing with your turn? He's got this big golden magical axe spinning in both of his hands with the fire glinting off him, and he is going to hold his action. Aram, I, I'm just going to point this out. There are some magic words, and you didn't say them yet. So do you want to end your turn? You mean there's magic words I say and then my axe does something? I don't know. You built the fucking character. Uh, Because it's like, because he's a fighter with like a plus one battle axe. I mean, sorry, a plus one great axe. Like it's not fancy. Let me rephrase because magic word obviously in D&D has different context. There are very important words that I need you to say by the end of this turn that will change things. Do you want to say them? I will hold my action until he sees a banshee. Okay, cool. So, uh, Orla, it's your turn. I scream. So the three guys who actually put cotton into their ears by the end of their turn are going to have advantage on this saving throw, but the guy who hasn't acted yet and also a Rom who didn't say those magic words are not going to have advantage on this saving throw. Oh, that was implied. That was heavily. <laughs> Wait a minute. That was implied. It was his plan. When I play, you know what? There's a reason why I play dumb characters. I really am as dumb as they are. Okay, <laughs> he forgot. He made sure all the other guys got the cotton into their ears, and he literally choked up and forgot. I could totally see that happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, like it, it's one of those situations where, like, if you feel completely fucking short, I will dial back on that. That was just one of those situations. No, hundred percent. Like, this one, it's exactly what what would have happened. So yeah, or I'll make that wisdom save. It's nineteen. So nineteen plus. Uh, wisdom of one, which is, so I have a total of 20. Non-natural. Of the three guys who had stuffed their ears, two of them make their saves. A 13 damage. They are still standing. Aram, you're taking the 13 as well? Yep. The person who hasn't acted yet, and one of the three who had stuffed their ears, apparently just did a shit job of it. You see everyone's head just snaps in the direction of the scream. Everybody's staring into the woods at like one point, something like 10 meters out. And two of them just go dead white and then fall to the ground. Dead? I mean, yeah. Burn it. And he would just point and like point to where the scream came from and just order who's left to burn it. Orla, you're off in the woods. I think to myself, wow, ah, they're really not taking into account that it's really hard to burn a forest, actually. Not really as flammable as you'd think. It's not the best environment. It's like raining currently. So I'm just not super worried about the forest fires. Like maybe you get a few trees, but I mean, 
they'll grow back. It's this cool. I'm gonna swoop on over there with my swoopy powers. So there is that huge scream. You all pinpoint exactly where she is in the forest. You're staring in that direction. Two of your men just drop to the ground. You get real, real lucky because one of them was holding one of those Molotovs at the ready and it rolls like just outside of the range of the fire. And then that apparition, that rude, rude woman who flipped you off just floats into the clearing. So I, I fly at what, what at one of them. If one looks like a straggler, I just go for a straggler. It will turn it into cinematic motion where she screams, you all pinpoint her. And then you can see that little thing where she is just strafing the edge of the clearing. You can see the motion. You can't get a clear line on her. Two of your guys are going to take their prepared Molotov cocktails, essentially, and hurl them into the woods. So ignoring your cover entirely, they rolled a six and an eight, respectively. They hit the trees and there's like a little bit of burning oil on several of the trees, which does light it up a little bit. As scouts, they do have multi attacks, so they're both going to try to take a longbow shot, just pot shots into the woods. That should be effective. Does a 13 hit your AC, Orla? It does. Okay, fantastic. More effective than I thought it was going to be going to hit you for pre-resistance six points of damage so three yep passes through your ghostly essence so how does this actually work is it like the way i always figured it is that you're not hurting the ghost you can't beat a ghost with a bat or shoot a ghost with arrows but i guess you could disturb a ghost enough that it weakens them to the point yeah where maybe they couldn't hold together if you want to use an existing word that I hate to use, there's got to be like some sort of ectoplasm. If it can interact with the physical world, it has to have some sort of physical element to it. Right. That it is holding together through general ghostly necromancy type means. So it's essentially you are disrupting its continuity and it's just reforming. Like a membrane. Gross. Yeah. You're causing it to exert effort to constitute itself. Aside from doing magic shit, you are exhausting a ghost's ability to remain corporeal. That's the semi-weak justification. Did I notice then when that arrow went through it? Give me a perception check. Uh, 17 plus... 17 plus 1 is 18. It's a little bit hard to make out because she is, of course, flowing through the woods. Sure. Fire. In the dark. Darkness. Yeah. It's a little bit hard to see, but basically you watched it like you can see where the arrow is still in the tree and it should have basically pinned the dress. It should have stopped them. Yeah. But this thing just drifted through it. It seemed to like flinch when the arrow went through, but at the same time, it just passed through and then it didn't slow it down past that. Was well, my magical axe gleams in the moonlight. He'd bark at the others to pen her in, and then he's going to go in and try and kill her himself. Go in, give me your attack. A 14 plus six. I'm wearing a dress. What do you want from me? It's not that hard to hit me. I get to roll a wonderful D12. Not often I get to use that die. That is going to be a 12 plus 4 is 16 points of damage from a magical weapon. Orlo, what's it look like when he hits you? It's a bit like if you can imagine cutting through water. Like if there's a waterfall, so you disrupt the flow of the water temporarily. It goes back, everything goes back kind of into shape again afterwards, but... You saw it all messed up for a minute. You can see the flash on the face of like that caused pain. Like it physically disrupted it and it caused 
what looked like a pain response. While Harvold is a piece of shit, he's named, he's the third one named. His dad was Harvold. Dad also kind of a piece of shit. Grandfather Harvold. Grandfather Harvold was a good dude. Good enough of a dude that he won the respect of these dwarves who used to mine deep in these mountains to the north. And they'd mine so deep that they'd make these special axes and they swore that these axes kept away spirits, kept away the things that they delve too deep and they wish to have some sort of protection and barrier to keep their souls safe. And these are the axes they made. He was given one of these axes by one of his close dwarven companions that has been passed down throughout the families until now. And this greedy, grimy, lazy, arrogant man's hands that he uses to chop down trees. That's the ax that he just swung through this banshee. Orla, that axe is made of gold and it glints beautifully and you can see the craftsmanship. You know it was dwarven made and dwarves don't make things the same way elves do, but it's like... Still good though. It's almost a different genre where it's not necessarily worse. You just like your shit better. No, I just, I'm really, I'm actually, I'm getting really into Art Deco. (laughs) Fair enough then. You know, obviously they have the original Art Nouveau vibe, but you know, I'm getting really into Art Deco at the moment. I think it's like, it's... It's the interwar period. I'm still really into it, so. Yeah, fair. No, that's mine now. Okay, good. (laughs) Good, good, good. It is your turn. I would like to necrotic his face, please. The old corrupting touch. Corrupting touch. A melee spell attack with a plus four to hit and a five foot reach. If successful, the Banshee inflicts three dice six plus two necrotic damage. <laughs> that's a that's a twenty three to hit. Ooh, that is unfortunately gonna hit. Yeah, that's definitely gonna hit me. <laughs> Another good one. That's um twelve necrotic. No, oh, plus four. Hold on, wait, wait one second. No, plus two, I think. Yeah, so fourteen necrotic damage. Ooh. Okay, so with 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 that hit, ooh, he's down a two. That that hurt. Your two, for lack of a better word, minions. Minions. Yeah. I just saw this thing like get hurt. Like, this is great. They're going to just immediately sort of rush in. Yeah. So the first one is going to take his two swings. One of them is rolling a natural one. So this is the sort of thing where like... He stabs the other one, right? Like he just runs through her and misses and just stabs the other guy coming in from the other side. Stabs himself. Goal! I mean, I typically don't run shit like that, but this is a game with a ROM and I would be remiss if we didn't... Because these two guys are at three hit points apiece. They nearly died from succeeding. They don't want to fight a ghost. They missed and, sh- and stabbed each other in the dark while trying to stab something that you can just run your hand through. I could totally see two idiots stabbing each other. It's one of those situations where it's not even that they stabbed each other. It's that one came forward and tried to stab the Banshee and sort of succeeded, like caught the like little tatters of the dress drifting in the wind and stabbed into a tree, at which point his hand was stuck. The other guy has swung, assuming that this guy will be pulling back cuts the arm. The arm just is hanging there off of a sword, and the other guy just stumbles back, screaming until he passes out. I don't know how 
medicine works. So we're just going to assume that that would make you pass out. I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah, and then die. It's your turn. Harvel's going to look this thing right in the eyes. No one ever takes anything from me. And it's going to try and split her right down the middle with his axe. 12 plus 6, 18. 18 hits, yes. All right, come on, Havel. Sufferably smug git like you did on the armor class about a monster you wrote a whole script about. But some of your ectoplasm, <laughs> some of your damn ectoplasm got onto his axe because he because his, his, his grip just isn't there. It just slips. The, the axe slides a bit out of his grip and he only does one plus four points of damage is five as he just misses sinking that axe in. Bonus action, second wind. That's another one. So one plus four is five hit points back. And then action surge. So as he brings that axe down, before it hits the ground, he flips it around in his hands and with his raw power, brings it straight back up through her. That is going to be a 10 plus six is 16. And that is going to be nine plus four is 13 points of damage as he brings the axe straight up and through her. Yeah, I'm still good. This isn't really how she wanted this day to go. But you know, you don't always get to make those decisions. Ready can be, I'm done. Oh no, oh no. Uh, that's only uh, an 11. <sighs> Doesn't touch him. Not with his good armor that got passed down from his great grandfather, it doesn't. The scout, uh, your last remaining uh, minion. So, does my minion punch the ghost? Orla, you're going to take a point of damage. Okay, cool. (laughs) I rolled a one. Man, what am I paying these dudes for? He lunges forward, he slashes, the banshee sort of floats back. Contemptuously. But as she's floating back, he just turns it into a stab. And he just kind of like catches the arm a little bit. It doesn't bother you that much. I need like this ghostly visage of this, you know, shrunken woman's face of like sort of like hollowed out cheeks and the like mad staring eyes, floating hair, but turns around and kind of just goes, Oh, bless the horn. You know, like that's the vibe, like somehow still manages to yep. communicate that. Like, oh, sweetie, no. Nothing would make my dude angrier than to be condescended to. There's one last pot of this oil and he just smashes the blade of a Zax down into it, gets it nice and wet in the oil and then lifts it up through one of the torches so it bursts into flame and just roars with it above his head and charges it at you. I'm going to take the negative five to hit to do plus 10 damage with my great axe. It is a natural 20. This might be the only way you make it out of this. Yeah, this actually, this is if you roll good, but I rolled a, I only rolled a four, but it's plus nine, so thirteen. And then if am I doing double damage or am I rolling again? What do you like better? It's more fun to roll. Yeah, and roll again. And that is a seven, so it'd be thirteen plus an additional seven is twenty. Twenty points of damage with this I'm flaming axe. Still up. Only just! Only you were so close! Don't curses! Still up. 
Oh, if I just okay. want a little better. Yeah, I'm like, I'm looking a little rough. He's just put it straight through you. He's got it buried in the ground. The flames are licking at the sides of his, of his, you know, bloodied scratch faces. His crazed eyes look up at you. 16? Because you don't have a shield. I do not have a shield. It's 16. <gasps> say, there's 16. no fucking way it's 17. It would have been if he had a shield, but he doesn't. Six, seven, eight, plus two is ten. Ten points of necrotic damage. Oh. Would you like to narrate how you kill this angry, angry axe man? I had nine points of health. You still don't understand her, but so the audience knows what the fuck I'm saying. There's a phrase that I learned once in common. The self-fulfilled prophecy. And then melts your fucking face. In your hands, you see... You can see one one little aura it is weak it is tenuous the grip on the physical that it still has but it's still there and in front of you is the last burning red rage of a life and you don't see the face contort you don't see the necrotic damage start to like eat away at the flesh you just watch that fade until there's a rough outline of a head resting in your hand and you let it just fall to the earth Thank you for joining Kill Every Monster and our good friend Orlani Duel as we learned more about the Banshee. Want to see our Lorekeeper notes for the Banshee encounter? Check out that and all of our other subscriber rewards at patreon.com slash killeverymonster. If you want to suggest creatures for future episodes or talk about the monsters we've discussed in the show, head on over to our Discord. You can find links at killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for, for Kill, Kill Every, Every Monster. Monster. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. The ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Faerun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets. A kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the iron claw of the red dragon, Chazar. Great Lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, 
and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at aram.gay.